0: QuickMed Claims presents the Board and Collar 10Q30. We pose 10 questions to emergency medical service leaders from across the United States on key matters affecting EMS nationwide. You'll find their unique responses interesting and thought-provoking, all in 30 minutes. Your host, QMC's Director of Client Services, Gary Harvath.
1: Well, good day everyone, my name is Gary Harvath and welcome to this edition of 10Q30. I'm joined today with my colleague, Chuck Humphrey, from our Danville, Pennsylvania office. I am here in Pittsburgh, and we're glad to be there. Be here today. Good afternoon, Chuck.
2: Hey, how are you? It's snowing here in northeastern Pennsylvania.
1: Oh, my goodness gracious. Well, it hasn't started snowing here yet in Pittsburgh, but they're calling for some of it today. So I'm not a big snow guy. Just hopefully I can get home. I don't don't know. I bought this car last year with all-wheel drive. But i'm still afraid to drive in the snow so it hasn't hasn't helped me at all chuck i think we've got a uh, we've got a great presentation today from our good friends at uh wolcott ambulance up in connecticut where it may be snowing there too who knows uh but uh, we're gonna give them uh pose them about 10 questions in 30 minutes to learn about their presentation uh i i know chuck and i have been talking talking about this now uh for several months and we're excited to have these folks here so chuck um, I'm going to introduce them, and let's get started. How about it? All
2: right. Yep, sounds like fun. Well, great.
1: If, uh, for those of you joining us today on the live presentation, joining us at the table you see uh, on your screen there are three of the leaders of Wolcott Ambulance Service. They are, I guess I'm saying that wrong, it's Wolcott. Is it not, gentlemen? It is, Wolcott. Okay. Wolcott. So if you're in Pittsburgh, it's Wolcott. So I'm going to try to transform myself <laughs> into Connecticut. It's Wolcott Ambulance Service. Joining us is Bill Barrick. Bill is the chief of the organization and has become a great friend of our our organization for many years. We just stopped and visited Bill uh, back in June and asked him to do this and boom, it's now December. Here we are. Also joining us is his two deputy chiefs, Peter Kaminsky. Good afternoon, Peter. Good afternoon. And Andrew Albert. So uh, these three gentlemen are gonna kind of lead us through today's presentation. Uh, Chuck and I will just be the talking heads. Uh, I won't even say we're good-looking talking heads, Chuck, but... um,
2: Well, speak for yourself
1: now. Okay. (laughs) All right. right. So let's get started. Um, Let me pose this question to you. It's kind of an easy one to start with, then I'll defer to my colleague, Chuck, for the next several. Um, Gentlemen, how about just an overview of Wolcott Ambulance, uh, your service area, uh, just to kind of give us just a general what makes your organization tick, how long you've been along, around, some history, anything you want to add, we'd be uh, more than excited to hear about you.
0: Yeah, sure, uh, Gary, I'll take that. Uh, thank you for having us. We're excited to uh, be on your program. We appreciate the offer. Um, it is snowing in uh, Connecticut, a uh, uh, little flurries, um, so nothing uh, accumulating apparently, but uh, Uh, The organization started in 1973. Um, There was a need uh, back in the early 70s. The ambulance service was provided by either of the two cities that surround our small town. Um, So about 10 people in town decided that uh, they wanted to establish their own volunteer service, so they got together. And the story goes that the first meeting uh these 10 folks reached into their pockets and between them had about 20 bucks um and one of the uh one of the uh first uh decisions that was made was uh well we need an ambulance and they were able to uh acquire a slightly used cadillac ambulance back in the day uh 1965 cadillac that they purchased for a dollar um so these 10 people uh our, our founding members, our charter members, who we cannot thank enough for dedicating their time, their money, their, their efforts, and uh, putting together an organization that uh, I, I know all of us are very proud of. So we, we try to remember our charter folks some have gone on uh, and have passed, uh, but there are still out of the original ten, there's um, five that are uh, still with us. So uh, we try to recognize them um, and remember, you know, what their common goal was. One of the one of the other interesting things they did that wasn't very popular and probably still isn't in the volunteer sector, uh, but uh, they wanted to respond from a base, from a headquarters. Uh, they weren't going to be a scatter crew pager type of uh, notification. So they made the dedication of being on duty. Physically from the uh, the ambulance garage. That's something that we, we've carried on uh, for the past uh, forty eight years. Uh, we'll be celebrating our fiftieth anniversary in uh, in twenty twenty three. So uh, we're looking forward to that. And um, again, we we can't uh, you know say enough about these people. That uh, in, in the beginning they really were just first aid, advanced first aid. They weren't even EMTs. Um, and these folks. Got involved and became uh, certified EMTs in
2: 1975-ish, and uh, the program uh, really hasn't looked back. Um,
0: as far as our town is concerned, we're uh, uh, a relatively small town in Connecticut, uh, up to mid-central Connecticut, uh, 16,000 uh, population, about 21 square miles, and our demographics. Uh, we do about 2,901 uh, ambulance calls per year, so. Um, we, uh, we currently, uh, we began as a, as I said, a basic service in 73, it took them a year to get, uh, everything uh, put together and, uh, established. So they didn't do their first call until 1974 and, uh, 19, about the early eighties, I want to say 84, they became an intermediate service, which obviously we all know as the advanced DMT nowadays. Um, and then in 2001, we brought the, uh, the service up to a uh, paramedic level and uh, we've been a uh, ALS service uh, since 2001. Um, and uh, obviously, uh, currently we provide um, two ALS ambulances 24 um, seven. So realistically, there's a minimum of two paramedic uh, trucks on the road 24 seven. Uh, but
1: that's a little bit about uh, the town of Wilkett and uh, our
0: organization. Uh, I don't know if uh, Andrew or Peter has anything that want to add.
2: I think- if you're if you're listening on the podcast, folks, um, unfortunately, you didn't have the joy of seeing some of these photos um, of the ambulances that uh, were in the early days. Uh, I love seeing that the old bubbles, and I got to tell you guys, um, it's great that you pay honor to your. Uh, to your founders that way, I think that's yeah, fantastic.
1: That's, that is really great, and I must say the uh, the one cat the Cadillac ambulance, the first black and white picture that you had up there. I will be honest with you. I started my career in that thing, and I will tell you to this day, there isn't a better ride on the street than that that ambulance. That's that's for sure. Um, that's what I heard.
0: Uh, I didn't have the pleasure. I started uh, myself in '83, but uh, we were switched over to vans by that point in time. Yeah, Uh, I wish I had that Cadillac
1: today. It was uh, it was it was an unbelievable ride. And then, of course, as the vans came in, uh, gentlemen, I I thought to myself, are are we hitting holes in the road or what is this? Because the Cadillac was so smooth. Um, Uh, Gentlemen, I do have one question for you. So um, and you will probably know this. So I was uh, perusing your website the other day. And on your homepage is a picture of two gentlemen. Uh, that's uh, there. It looks like a before and after picture. One is a black and white picture, and the other one uh, is a picture of what I perceive to be those two same two gentlemen today. Uh, they're both in the same pose, listing it, lifting a. Um, stretcher, or the second one was actually watching the stretcher load itself into the ambulance. Um, are those the same guys? They are.
0: Yeah, they are. Uh, <laughs> so on the left, if I remember correctly, on the left, it's uh, Jack Ahern. Jack was a captain. Uh, Jack worked full-time for uh, an organization that you and even uh, out in your area would be familiar with, but Pratt Whitney uh, Aircraft Engines. Uh, yeah. Jeff, I mean, uh, Jack was an engineer for Pratt Whitney here in Connecticut. And his counterpart, uh, Dave Bernier, um, was uh, one of our former chiefs. They are both founding members, charter members. And uh, we had the opportunity, I want to say it was two, it'll be two years next month. Um, Jack still lived in town at the time, and Dave uh, had uh, retired to Arizona. And uh, he would come back uh, frequently, and they were both in town, and we had a nice day together. Um, unfortunately they both passed away last year. Um, uh, sure. and, uh, yeah. It's tough to, uh, tough to see them. Uh, you know, uh, they were two peas in a pod as you can all imagine. And, sure. uh, taking them from what they had in that Cadillac to the, just, just the stair chair that was more money than their yeah. Cadillac.
1: Exactly. So, them,
0: you know? so, well, yeah. I just,
1: I found that to be a great picture. I studied the picture for some time trying to see if that was, you know, the, the older one will look like the two, two gentlemen in the, in the newer picture. So uh, I thought that was just great to incorporate onto your website there. Very nicely done. Very nicely done. Um, so let me just, before I uh, go any further here, let me just advise our listeners on our live presentation today that if you do have questions for these gentlemen, please go to the bottom of your video screen. Uh, just type or tap on the uh, Q&A icon. You can type your question in. Uh, and Chuck will pose them to the panel. Uh, Bill and Peter and Andrew have told us there is no question that they won't answer. So uh, give us anything and everything. We'll be glad to, uh, to pose these questions to them. But let's continue on for a second. Um, gentlemen, tell us a little bit about how you staff. Do you, do you have certain shifts? Do you use eight hours, 24 hours? What's working for you from a staffing level and um, anything at all about how you guys are managed and, and you know, how many trucks you have on the road at any given time?
0: Yeah, Gary, um, you know, right now we have a minimum as Bill was uh, kind of alluding to earlier, a minimum of two ALS ambulances at all times um, staffed amongst either paid staff or volunteers um, that you know, some of which are still doing weekly shifts, others are kind of just here when they can make some time around their other commitments. Uh, But regardless, we always have two ALS ambulances uh, with a supervisor incorporated somewhere in there, uh, 24-7, 365. Um, You know, we do have the luxury of having some flexibility in the way we do scheduling, being a smaller organization. um, You know, we we do kind of go all over the the place as far as uh, shifts go. So you may have an eight-hour shift, a 16-hour shift. Uh, We do allow some 24-hour shifts as long as um, we feel there's an appropriate amount of time in between uh, shifts that you might be doing elsewhere on the schedule. Um, So we definitely are are fortunate to be able to do that. I think that what's worked really well for us is being able to get a good balance of folks who can commit to that weekly schedule, um, whether it is on the paid end or the volunteer end, uh, whereas I know that some you know services struggle with uh, trying to kind of fill holes on a on a rolling basis, they don't they are able to get that commitment um, from from everybody. Uh, so we, we do staff right here from base we don't have the scramble crew uh, structure, so I think that's helpful as well, um, and we definitely uh, enjoy our, our program that we use for uh, staffing, you know we do use a program to kind of help keep everything organized. Um, So we enjoy using that program to kind of keep things in in line. Um, The last thing I'll kind of add on the the scheduling end is that we do also utilize the staffing agency here in Connecticut um, to plug in some additional paid shifts where we're not able to fill in uh, with our own staff or our own volunteers. So we're lucky to have a number of different resources to kind of tap into to get that schedule filled. Um, and, And we've been able to get through even the COVID pandemic thus far. Um, with very minimal interruption. So our staff is great, our volunteers are great. They're they're very committed to making sure that we always have the proper coverage here in town. Um, and it, it's worked out really well the past few years, so.
1: I see. We had a question come in from Texas, gentlemen, regarding um, how the relationship is between your, your paid team and your volunteer team. And have you ever encountered any friction as you had these two groups working together?
0: Uh, no, we haven't had any issues. I mean, we really try to keep it, we keep it as as fair as possible. You know, we keep everybody uh, on the mindset that we're one team. You know, I know a lot of departments, they do unfortunately sometimes face a a struggle where there's a little bit of friction between the paid and volunteer, but I think that we've been very uh, fortunate that there's been no issues with everybody recognizing it's one big team and uh, we're all here committing what we can to that schedule. I think right. on that one too, Mary, is that our uh, our paid staff, you know, they, they come uh, on board with a wealth of uh, experience. They've worked in the commercial uh, industry that interacts with um, volunteer services throughout the region, and um, in, in the state of Connecticut, for that matter. And many, many, many of them have been volunteers themselves. Yeah. So you know, we try to uh, bring back "don't forget where you came from" type uh, mentality. You know and, and help each other out and uh, uh, you know, training, 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 like you know,
1: like they say, you know, so yeah, absolutely, uh, we, we, we haven't had those issues. Great, right. right. good to hear that speaks volumes to the type of organization you folks uh lead. Um, follow up question to that is, how how large is your volunteer core?
0: Uh, currently, there's probably 30 uh volunteers. Again, as Andrew said, there's, there's one you know, a, a few. That uh, have one or two shifts every single week, and they're dedicated to that. You you can set your watch by it. And then you have other folks that are, you know, we have some retirees that uh, maybe 20 years ago they were uh, volunteer EMTs and and, uh, they're still doing this, but they're available now during the day versus the night, you know, or maybe not so much on the weekend. So, uh, again, based on our paid staff and our volunteer, I mean, our, our staffing agency. That's where Andrew was kind of uh, speaking to that it, 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 combining the three, you know, we're able to, to dedicate those two trucks 24-7.
1: Yes, sir. Um, so with any organization, big, small, fire-based, municipal, private, uh, working within the communities that you serve is huge. And um, just ask, <laughs> I just wanted to ask, I just wanted to ask, uh, how? What means do you use to outreach into the communities you serve? Can you tell us maybe some of the things that you do?
0: Yeah, um, we we take any event that's, uh, you know, brought to us, and we, we open arms, kind of accept any standby event that we can here in town, whether it be a, a 5k event, or for those of you that are able to see the screen, um, you know, we do have a, a picture here of our most recent Halloween uh, Trunk or Treat event. So we went up to one of the elementary schools in town, and we were able to pass out candy to the elementary school, uh, you know, children and get out there in the community that way. Um, you know, we are big on also uh, trying to remember that we uh, have events in town that we'll invite folks to as well. So if we ever do like a mass casualty incident. Um, kind of demonstration. We'll we'll invite the community to be able to come and and, and observe that as well. We have a really big um, outreach with our local fire and police. So, you know, if they have an extrication drill or some sort of a standby that they need us to be at that maybe they're uh, working with the community on, we definitely try to reach out and become part of those events and and any of the other organizations that they're working with, we try to also work with them so that they can kind of experience the, the full kind of uh, emergency services within the town um, all at the same time. Uh, and we also are a heart safe community here in Wolcott, very. So uh, we do a lot of uh, heart safe um, community CPR courses. So we'll offer free CPR to all the residents here in the town of Wolcott. Um, You know, if they want to bring down a Girl Scout troop or a Boy Scout troop, or if it's just a a group of, uh, you know, individuals who are looking to get CPR trained, uh, we do that free of charge, and, and, um, you know, we we always try to get as involved as we can with any events, any any groups that are here in town. Um, You know, our biggest event of the year is usually the Wolcott Fair, um, so we definitely have a big outreach of uh, kind of community relations uh, there as well, so.
1: Good. And in addition
0: to the hands-on programs we have, we also reach out and connect with our community through social media, um, our website, as you would see. Uh, we do a monthly article in our local newspaper, which is both still in print and online. So um, there's several ways that we successfully show our community how much we appreciate them.
1: Uh, it's an essential component of every good, uh, EMS organization these days. Uh, you can't live in a silo because, um, you know, funding, I'm sure like everywhere else is tough and the, you need to get that community support. And it sounds like you're doing that. Chuck, to me, these guys, yeah. when they speak, you hear the pride that they have in their organization. Oh,
2: absolutely. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And gentlemen, I have a question here. So it was noted on uh, uh, your earlier slide that you had a lot of young people there um, at what age do you bring uh, uh, young students in? Uh, do you have uh, anything going on, uh, uh, like like a, vol- uh, a junior core or how are you how are you handling that? So, with the COVID nineteen pandemic, we have put the
0: Explorer Post, as what we would call our uh, previous junior core kind of on hold. Um, We want to try to limit the exposure that anybody would have from that, um, you know, junior core on both sides. We didn't want to be exposing them necessarily or bringing more people than we needed to into the building. Um, But typically, you know, we'll take anybody who's uh, going to be sixteen years of age by the end of an EMT course, and we would enroll them into an EMT class. We do offer discounted rates to residents of the town as well as um, primarily uh, high school students. Um, so typically, sixteen years uh, around that age and above is where we really like to start off and bring in any new members. Um, so that's kind of the direction we move things into. We really want to try to get you into an EMT class as soon as possible and, and go from there.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I'm involved in a uh, Explorer post myself as, uh, as an advisor uh, with the ambulance Service. I run such a great program, and I enjoy it so much, especially at my age, watching young people get excited and being able to share that so good for you guys that's great And I, you know it was noted there that uh, you had some young people there just wondering uh, the questioner was wondering just just what age yeah. so thanks for answering chuck, chuck uh, w chief albert is
1: a, a product of that he yes. was an explorer um
0: and uh, we were able to convince him to stick around so how
1: about that
2: pretty quickly and he deserves it it's-
1: Good
2: that's stuff. great. That's that's awesome. I, I'm, I'm
1: glad to hear that. Super. Great, gentlemen. Uh, along with the community comes your neighboring EMS organizations, and we all know the importance of working uh, together, especially in situations that challenge us with uh, staffing and uh, an overabundance of calls and not enough ambulances to go around. Tell us a little bit about your agreements with other uh, neighboring uh, EMS organizations.
0: Um. So uh, fortunately for us, uh, Gary, um, since 2019, we've been unable to handle two, zero two calls in our, what we call in Connecticut, our primary service area, our town, um, that we're responsible for. So, uh, and those two calls were due to mechanical uh, failure um, on uh, our, one of our four ambulances was out of service. It wasn't because of the staffing, but... Just like any other, you know, uh, we all see it every single day, every hour of the day. We get updates from the American Ambulance Association, EMS One, uh, this website, that site that, you know, there's a nationwide shortage of EMTs and EMS providers, and certainly the pandemic has not helped in that regard. Um, so we're very, very fortunate that we're able to cover our own calls. As I said earlier, we're kind of between a a couple of cities, so we're kind of on an island. We don't have a volunteer corps that we can kind of pull mutual aid in uh, conveniently for us just because of our location. Um, And we do provide uh, mutual aid backup service to the city of Waterbury. The city of Waterbury is about 130,000 population. Uh, A couple of years ago, we were running about 160 mutual aid calls into their city. Um, Last few years, it hasn't been quite as high. Uh, but if we have the staff available, we'll definitely help out our surrounding cities and, and even uh, certain towns, um, you know, without jeopardizing our own coverage. That's, sure. that's the that's the key, is to make sure that we cover our town because the town is very supportive of us, uh, both financially and otherwise. And, uh, you know, that's our, our number one priority, obviously.
1: Understood. Very good. And for those... Uh, uh, listing are with us live today. Can you give us an idea as far as where you're located on that wonderful map of Connecticut there?
0: <laughs> so if you look at uh, region two, region three and region five right there uh, where they all kind of inter- interconnect there is the, the tip of our town uh, the bottom tip of the south most south, uh, south portion of the town. Uh, so we're kind of uh, central Connecticut more and more to the western side I guess. Uh, we would fit into Region Five. It's about 46 uh, towns and cities. Uh, we we are members of the uh, the Department of Public Health uh, Region Five uh, EMS Council. Um, so much like I know EMS councils are very popular in, in uh, Pennsylvania, um, they're uh, just as important here in, in Connecticut. And um, we uh, we also have a voice on the Region Five Medical Advisory or the MAP Committee. That's
2: the, that's made up of the docs, the ER docs of all of the six or seven.
0: I think there's still six or seven uh, hospitals in our region um, throughout. So whether it's in the far north corner or the most uh, southern point, uh, we get we get together monthly uh, with these pro, uh, folks and colleagues, and uh, so we do have a, uh, uh, a seat at the table, if, if you will. You know.
1: I see. Thank you for that. Um, so, gentlemen, I, I keep flashing back to that picture on your website when, uh, you know, you had a group that was basically, uh, you know, uh, Red Cross first aid folks doing the best they could do. Uh, the industry has surely evolved. Um, might I ask over the last few years what clinical improvements uh, for patient care you've added to your fleet? Okay, that works out pretty well, huh, Chuck? Yeah, it's a
2: great graphic uh, for those of you that are on the podcast yeah. uh, showing us some of the devices they're so I'm, I'm excited to hear what uh, what you what you have to uh, tell us.
1: Yes, please.
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: That's a great question. Um, look at ambulance, we've
2: worked really hard to stay
0: on the cutting edge of technology. Uh, when we see different, um, you know, EMS has moved away from what we believe is right to be more of an evidence-based um, healthcare system as is the hospitals. Um, With that in mind, as we've seen the improvement in patient outcomes with things such as the Lucas device, we've jumped on board. So with our ALS equipment, we do have the Lucas device um, on our ambulances, which um, provides chest compressions and CPR. We also use video laryngoscopy, which have helped our paramedics to increase their success rate with um, endotracheal intubation. Our rescue airways, we've switched in the last couple of years to the IGEL, which as a backup airway is far superior to um, what we had used in the past, the combi tube. Also, we um, enlist our community to help us. With that, we've got, um, as Andrew had said before, a heart safe community. Part of that is the fact that we have ADDs we have about 20 of them strategically placed throughout the community um, and they are public access. We recently switched over from the um, CR plus to the CR two um, AEDs, which if you can believe it are even easier to use with than um, the previous AEDs. So those are a couple of the things that we have used in the past few years or um, seen improvements with, as far as helping the patients.
2: Now I have a question that came in, those community AEDs, do you yes. go around and, and monitor, check batteries, maintain those, flop out the pads? Is that your responsibility? Or once yes. you send them out, do the, the, the um, organizations where they reside take care of that? No,
0: we actually, um, we take care of those ourselves. that's one of the beautiful things with the CR2s. The CR2s actually have a five-year battery and a five-year pad, but no, we actually keep spreadsheets of where not only all of our AEDs are, but all the expiration dates. Um, And we don't just rest on the fact that they've got five-year pads. We still check them out quarterly Mm -hmm. to make sure that they're operating appropriately because things happen. Mm -hmm. So no, we go throughout the community and not only does it help us keep an eye on the equipment and make sure the equipment is always mission ready, but it's also a way for us to interact with our community.
1: Very good, Great. good very job. good stuff. So um, along with innovations in, in patient care, um, you know, if you read many of the journals, like I'm sure you gentlemen do, um, there's a lot devoted to safety of the team on board the ambulance. What have you done in that regard?
0: That's another great question. We have, um, as Bill has said before, we have a wealth of experience here and a lot of varying backgrounds coming from different areas. So patient safety and our team safety is paramount. With that, we've introduced things such as um, in, in that photograph that you're looking at in the center, it's an item called a binder lifts. Um, mm-hmm. Things such as simple as that where that helps us to lift the patient using multiple team members instead of just two people or one person trying to lift the patient on their own. Um, We also, when we respond, we do our best to respond with a minimum of three. Usually we've got four, five, even six people responding to every call. So you've got assistance needed in lifting and moving the patients. We, um, made the investment in um, not only power stretchers but also power lifts to lift the stretcher into the ambulance to save on our team members backs. We use power stair chairs to assist in gliding the stair chair not only down the stairs but also it'll go up the stairs. We use PPE, you know to protect our patients with this pandemic, we make sure that even at the start when PPE was a struggle and some of our communities were resorting to garbage bags to protect their team members, we um, had a, an adequate supply of cleaning materials, respirators, that we were able to use to protect not only our team members, but also our patients and their family members.
1: So a lot of a lot of focus on patient safety. It sure is. Um, I I keep hearing about these power lift stretchers, and I think back, where were they in
0: 1974?
1: Uh, in 1990. Yeah, well, that's true too. But uh, I just uh, actually wrote a, a, an article uh, called "Wonder Why My Back Hurts," and uh, and there's the answer right there: the Ferno Model Thirty stretcher. With with a 250-pound a, a steel worker will do you in every time. So um, Absolutely. I think uh, about, I'm very
0: familiar with those.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think from a from a patient state safety standpoint, those things, I do, although I know they're very costly, uh, surely uh, lessen the chances for a worker's comp injury or or and obviously will increase longevity of your team as well, too. So great, great, great stuff. Um on the downside, a little bit, guys. Uh, you know, the industry has a lot of challenges in front of us, and you know, we we live in a world with a lot of things that are happening outside our doors. Of course, the pandemic, which we've talked about and discussed ad nauseum, but also out there is things like the opioid epidemic, and internally, you know, many ambulance services across the country are struggling with uh, staffing, job stress, succession planning. Um, you know, what's your plan B, guys? Well, you know, you've got some leaders sitting there in front of us right now today, but what do you got coming up through the ranks and how are you fostering that growth within your own community, along with how are you handling externally some of the things that you're being presented with, specifically like the opioid epidemic?
0: Okay, well, if we can start out with the opioid epidemic. Sure. um, We have partnered with uh, one of our local agencies that gives community education on uh, opioid overdoses. And they actually have a program to um, get Narcan out into the community. From our part, we also have um, our local partners in the police department that are our supplemental first responders. They are all trained to use intranasal Narcan and they carry it in their police cruisers. Um, In addition to our, um, our scheduled teams that respond in the ambulances and the fly cars all win Narcan. We have some officers that respond from their homes throughout the community. We also have Narcan in our um, first response kits. And again, our paramedics can choose to give um, IV or intramuscular Narcan but all of us, our EMTs and paramedics are equipped to give intranasal Narcan.
1: Um,
0: So that's a way that we are able to get Narcan out to the community very quickly. Again, in our local hospitals um, and through the state of Connecticut, we've got a program where we knowledge share to um, share this information on opioid overdoses to try to get more educational information out to the patients to do our best to um, decrease those numbers going forward. And again, I think um, one of the biggest helps has been the community program where there's actually Narcan in the community. There have been numerous calls where we get to this, um, we get to the patient's address and the patient is already awake and breathing on their own. And that is thanks to their family member or their friend having given them intranasal Narcan prior to our arrival.
1: Very good. What very innovative.
0: As far as uh, you know, bringing new people on board, Gary, and, and staffing. And I think uh, going back to what Chuck said, the Explorer Post, the cadets, uh, the youth, uh, getting them involved uh, early on. Well, you know, we, we've always had a history at our organization of bringing people in the door and maybe they're with us for two, three, five years and they've gone on to, you know, I can't tell you, hundreds of nurses and nurse practitioners and PAs. And we're very proud to say we've had 14 medical doctors, one of which is our current medical control um, come through our doors. Um, so to see that, uh, you know, kind of evolve from the early days, of those folks not even knowing how to use a suction unit or a, or a stair chair or a stretcher. You know, it's, it's very proud from the organization's perspective to see uh, one of our EMTs became the colonel of the state police. You know, I've, got a, I've got a friend that was a partner. He's an ER director in another hospital in, in Connecticut. Um, so it's, it's very rewarding. Uh, vice president of a very large hospital uh, chain in, in Connecticut uh, came through our doors. So again, I think um, one of the key things that I try to bring to the table is being uh, transparent, being open and honest, keeping that open door policy. You know, you really have to listen. You have to listen to your staff. You have to listen to your employees. You have to listen to your volunteers, you know, um, try to try to, you know, get down to their level. One of the things I pride myself on is I try not to forget where I came from. So if there's a piece of equipment out there or there's you know, we we send our staff for staff development to the uh, national conferences. You have both been here to the Connecticut conference. Uh, the New England conference is is a very good conference. Uh, so we try to encourage them to you know to learn and to 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 don't 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 be uh, stagnant. You know, um, there's so much out there uh, based research-based or or just new equipment like. Let's try it. If, if this is something that works for us, we'll, we'll invest the money and the time uh, and right. the education into it.
1: Sure, sure. Even
0: um, addressing job stress, simple things like our innovations, um, it brings morale to our team members, knowing that they don't have to do manual CPR, mm-hmm. that they don't have to lift the stretchers, mm-hmm. that they've got equipment that works. Um, we have the new check sheets every day, and we make sure that we look at those check sheets so if there's concerns, if there's any items that are missing or not functioning, we as a, as a leadership team address it immediately. Um, we have our equipment and our ambulances set up almost identically so that our staff members feel comfortable jumping into uh, any of the ambulances at any time. Little things like Um, Bill makes sure that he celebrates our team members' birthdays with a lunch. Uh, We are very empathetic to our team members and we're very focused on, if we see that they're having a bad day, we ask them, hey, what's going on? We bring them into our office, have them sit down and talk with us. Like Bill said, we have that open door policy where we encourage that back and forth. And we found that especially going through the pandemic, that has been a way for them to blow off steam and to be able to kind of relax and reboot, um, just doing those special things. Um, Bill keeps us flush with snacks and you it sounds like something so simple, mm-hmm. but if you're running from call to call to call and you don't have time to sit down for your lunch or heat it up, you can grab a granola bar or. Mm-hmm. An apple or a bottle of water or something. Uh, and I, I think that's really helped. We've had a lot of good
1: feedback on that. Mm-hmm. Sure. Great responses, gentlemen. Once again, a really very informative. Thank you. Um, so, you know, we've heard a lot about the, all the great things you're doing. Let me ask you, what are your challenges today?
0: Well, I think Gary, you know, the biggest challenge we face, and I think it's not really necessarily unique to us is just really convincing people that this is a field that you can get into and stay in and, and make a career. And, and you know, just that, that retention of, of, you know, individuals overall, um, you know, we're always looking at changes in the, in the way scheduling works and, and kind of, you know. Uh, Changes in the industry overall and, and what does that mean for you know having people want to stick around in the field and and you know want to be doing this five, 10 years later down the road. Um, so I think that's our biggest challenge right now is just making sure that we can can have uh, those those individuals that we that we want to see stay in the organization really buy into the idea that this is something that they'd like to be doing um, you know long term. Sure. I think that through a lot of the the Things you discussed throughout our, our kind of conversation today we've been able to eliminate uh thankfully a lot of the challenges i think i see a lot of other organizations struggling with um so it's it's nice that we have a, a small list that we need to be really always focusing on when it comes to the challenges and i think that that's a result of us really making sure we implement all of these things um, on a daily basis so if i had to put my my kind of uh, the number one thing that we are, are worried about and moving forward is just really trying to find people that want to be doing this long term and, and convincing them to stick around.
1: Sure, and I think if you pulled the industry, you'd find that that's probably number near one. the top of the list at just yeah. about every place you talk to anymore. And uh, um, it's a struggle, but uh, you know, a lot of it is comes down to. Uh, the good organizations typically do a lot better retaining and hiring new employees, whereas ones that are maybe struggling are a little bit more challenged. And it's just not an easy—it's uh, not an easy task whatsoever. Um, gentlemen, and uh, we're kind of approaching the end of our time, and we've we've covered about retaining good employees, and I think that's been uh, your responses. To that have been good, but uh, let me just ask you as we close here today. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share with us about your organization, your chance to kind of uh, blow your own horn, if you will, and, and tell us anything else, because uh, this has been very informative. I, I know uh, Chuck and I have been communicating back and forth here today, and both of us were kind of like giving uh, you the thumbs up like wow factor. You guys are doing great things. And uh as much as these are things that are happening in some other places of the organizations, you seem to collectively have it very well scripted out and together. And I think uh, those who come to work there hopefully appreciate what you built. So um, anything else you'd like to add?
0: Well, I, I would just like to say that we focus on our community and we focus on our team members. And with that, we have, um, try to give that wow factor. You know, going that extra step. Our team members are handpicked. They are the best of the best, and we let them know that. We let them know how great they are and what a great job they're doing. We give them regular feedback. We, As, as we said earlier, when we go out, we usually have a supervisor responding with our team members. And you know what? We watch as our team members are smiling and holding hands and you know, just bantering back and forth with the community. We understand, our team members understand that we are seeing people sometimes at their worst moment. So we, we encourage them to take those extra steps. Mm-hmm. You have um, team members that are focused on caring for the patient, and you have a team member that goes over and talks to the family and gives them updates. Um, Sometimes it's when we move furniture in the house to get the patient out, a team member will go back in and they'll move the furniture back into place, Mm -hmm. and it all comes together to just give that wow factor. Right. right. We all know that after a cardiac arrest, you know, someone goes back in that house and not only uh, interacts with the family and gives them an update. But it clean that scene up as best mm. we can, right? Yeah. You know, uh, the
2: little things. Uh, sure. To Peter the little things, yep. Yeah. 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 That's what community so, EMS is so good at. Yeah, that's compassion.
0: great. Compassion, and then yes. and lastly, right. I will say, um, partnering up with a um, you got to find yourself a, a great medical billing company, and uh, you know, with, with, without that, you don't have the funds um, to be able to hire the staff or have the equipment. So to you guys, we, we, we thank you. You guys have been great partners from the onset. Um, you, you do a wonderful job. And, and, I'm, and I'm serious. I'm joking, but but I'm serious. Uh, you know, you, 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 your, your organization is top-notch in, in my opinion. and We appreciate what you guys do for wow. us.
2: What a, what so a we, wonderful we, thing to it. say. Thank you. Boy.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, we, we can't do it without Jim. We can't do it without our town support and the people we still we still do a fundraiser every year a letter campaign yeah. and we get over a thousand donations And you know yeah. it's it's, it's a really uh very
1: rewarding yeah it is yeah. well thank you for your kind comments yeah. you know this is one of the things bill and you said it so elo- eloquently uh today is the fact that we try to instill this upon our people because you know uh, one of the things that we do here is we kind of get caught up in insurance and claims and follow up and payers, and you know it. It the job can kind of get monotonous some t- some days, and you know we try to make sure our, our team knows that what they're doing has value, and it has value beyond the walls of our organization, and it has value beyond the walls of your organization, and that value is found in the patients who know nothing about the ambulance, know nothing about billing, and pick up the phone at their life's worst moment and get the best care. And we play a very small role in that. And um, so we try to instill that with our people. And we think that that sometimes is an aha moment with some of our folks. Like, I really never looked at it like that. You know, I'm just processing claims uh, you know, to support my family here. And really, at the end of the day, we're taking care. What we do here is taking care of the person uh, who, you know, doesn't know anything about EMS, but when they need it, it comes and it comes as a result of you having the dollars to do that. So, uh, a long every a long explanation.
0: You know, every single patient encounter, you guys are a part of that. I, I absolutely. And I will say, um, I'm one of the people here on the team that regularly interacts with QMC. And the people I've interacted with, they know loud and clear how important they are. Um, And it shows in the way they interact with us and the way they treat us. And um, your employees treat us like family. It's great.
1: Well, if you ever find it's any less than that, my friend, you let us know um yeah, and i chuck and i are two of the guys that are have been in your shoes uh we've have a few others here and we recognize the important role we play and i hope we can continue to do that but uh gentlemen thank you for giving up your time today i know that it's not easy to do this i know there was probably some prep work involved with uh the slides that you have presented today and it just means the world to us that you took time to do this and nice. um and just one question in closing, um, for our listeners, those that are listening live now and those who will be listening uh, once we post the podcast version of this, um, and if, you, they, if anybody would like to get a hold of you, uh, is there an email address or some means that they could contact you? Um, listeners, you can also contact us here at uh, success at quickmedclaims.com. Um, but Bill or Andrew or, uh, Peter, do you have any, um, uh, any ways that you might want to extend to our audience?
0: Yeah. All that information, Gary is on our website, uh, www.wolcottambulance.com. Uh, um, or there's a email. email, email quote, info. Yeah. <laughs> um, depending on what you're looking to do, as far as the, the question you're trying to get answered to, we've actually set up a, uh, contact us tab on our website and it will kind of help direct you as to where to send your email. There's a few uh, different emails in there depending on, uh, you know, what what we're trying to uh, get answered answer for. I'd also say that Peter is, is really good about keeping our social media uh, up to date. So our Facebook page is a really good way to get uh, in, in touch with us and reach out. And we're hoping to kind of have some, you know, big uh, developments up there uh, soon in the next year or so. Um, with some education and, and expansion along those lines. So Fantastic. hopefully we can get some, some people
1: involved in that as well. Right. Well, thanks again, Chuck. Do you have anything caught in closing? I just want to say thanks guys.
2: You know, this is what community EMS is all about proud to be uh proud to be part of it myself, proud to be connected with you guys. And you know, like Gary said, we certainly understand the connection and, uh, uh, we love working with you guys. So keep up that great work. Super, super job.
1: Absolutely. Well, Thank thanks you so much. Thanks so much for joining Happy us. Holidays. Yes. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to be safe. to you. You guys Very have awesome. a great Christmas holiday and uh, God bless all of you and your crews. Yes.
0: Thanks, guys.
1: Thanks. Thanks to everybody for joining us today. And uh, gentlemen, we'll let you know where this can be found on our podcast channel. So you can go back and, and listen and share with your friends and family it's a great stalking stuffer
2: it is (laughs) oh oh, oh.
1: all right until then let me just say hey be Be safe safe
2: out there